Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Welcome to another episode of Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli. You know, philosophers like John Locke argue that without laws, human societies would be brutal places. And from this view, laws exist in order to protect our most fundamental human rights. Now, as real estate investors, we could benefit from having certain laws that help guide our investing activities and protect and grow our investment capital. My returning guest today and I will talk about what he calls his three immutable laws of real estate investing. But first, you know, I was scanning the reviews on iTunes that go back about a week or so, and I check these from time to time. And I enjoy reading them because for the most part, they're 99% of them are all five-star, great, positive reviews. This one was in the form of a question, and I thought, well, it's probably a question that many people ask, and so I I would air it. And this person just goes by the initial V. He or she says, hello, I love this podcast, and I've been researching the idea of investing outside of California. Gee, I wonder why that is. Who do I reach out to to set up a tour? Thank you. So simple question, simple answer. Basically contact anyone here at our office, any one of our six investment counselors or our our support team can help you with that. And essentially what we'll do is we'll just connect you with our team on the ground in one of the 22 or so markets that we operate in where we have property. And they and us together would be happy to show you around introduce you to the neighborhoods, show you some properties, some that are under renovation, some under construction, some that are completely ready and ready to go. Obviously, many of them have tenants in place, and so that may not be a part of the tour, but we would certainly love to meet you, shake your hand, show you around, give you an education, and present you some great investment potential opportunities. And that's it. So, Just give us a call and talk to an investment counselor or just fill out the form on our website. Well, with that, let's get right into the interview right after this quick message. Are you on track to achieve your financial goals? Income-producing real estate is the most historically proven way to accumulate wealth and has created more financial freedom than any other means. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best turnkey cash flow rental properties. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly income. Get your free strategy session with our knowledgeable investment counselors at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. All right. It's my pleasure to welcome back a great guest, Joe Fairless. Joe is a full-time real estate investor, and he now controls over $610 million worth of residential real estate. He's also the author of two great books titled The Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever, Volumes 1 and 2, and a third book called Best Ever Apartment Syndication Book. And he is also the host of the world's longest-running daily real estate podcast of the same name. So with that, Joe, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you so much and looking forward to our conversation. Well, it's great having you back. There is a ton of subject matter and topics that we can talk about. So you and I have no end in terms of how much and what we can talk about. And that's exciting because there's a lot to share with my audience, your audience. Let's start with your story. I love your story. You know, everybody's got a story and everybody has 
different starting point. And yours is from New York and you were in advertising. So do me a favor, share with our audience how you went from advertising to big time real estate investing. Well, I was sampling life experiences because I knew that towards the later part of my advertising career, I just wasn't fulfilled by what I was doing. So I did certain things while I had my W-2 job. Started out as a junior project manager, making $30,000 a year. Then I became, in about six years, the youngest VP of a New York City advertising agency. Salary was around 150. And my goal was to make $100,000. And then I would be set for life. (laughs) That was my goal at the time. $100,000 be set for life before my 30th birthday. And I did that. But what I realized is once I achieved the monetary goal, I just wasn't fulfilled. And so immediately thereafter, I decided to sample life experiences. So specifically, what I mean by that is I was interviewing people for a book about how to have a successful career. So I interviewed the soldier of the year in the army. I interviewed a vice president at Southwest Airlines, all sorts of people who I knew just to learn more about what they did to be successful in their career so I could share those lessons for others. Additionally, I wanted to get better at public speaking. So I did an improv class and the improv teacher said, why are you here? And I said, you know, I told her and she's like, well, improv's one thing to one way of getting better. But if you really want to go to the next level, then do stand-up comedy because with improv, people know that you're just seeing this you know, broomstick for the first time. Whereas stand-up comedy, they know that you have better have something prepared to make them laugh every seven seconds. <laughs> so the expectation is much higher. So you have less room for error and a less forgiving audience with stand-up comedy. So I did that just for... I just took a class. I mean, I wasn't going touring city by city doing stand-up comedy. I just took a class in New York City and I performed in two places a Gotham Comedy Club and the other one is now shut down. <laughs> Shows you <laughs> how special of, of a place it was. It's no longer in business. I did that twice. And then I also taught people what I was doing in the single family arena. So I was buying single family homes. My first house I bought was $76,000 in Duncanville, Texas, which is south of Dallas. Saved up $20,000. Took me a couple of years to save up twenty k. And then I bought my first house in October of 2009, bought my first house. And then I did that again and again and again and again, four times total. And along the way, my friends are like, wait, you're working in advertising with us. How are you able to do this? And so I started teaching a class on how to do it. And then one of my former bosses attended the class and he's like, well, you know what? This sounds good, but if you ever do anything larger, let me know. And I heard that multiple times. If you ever do something larger, let me know. So I realized that I wanted to get out of advertising and I had potential business partners for larger deals. So I realized that, hey, I have some customers before I have a product, which is a very good business to be in. When you have customers before product, you got demand before supply. So that's what gave me the idea to do larger deals and do real estate full-time. So I don't want to undermine it, but it sounds like the whole path going down the syndication route was somewhat accidental. It presented itself to you with people saying, hey, I'd like to invest with you, but on bigger deals. And so it may have been the catalyst that put you down the road towards syndication, right? That's correct. I would agree with that. Yeah. I I didn't sound like you were thinking about it prior to, but that's great. I mean, a lot of things 
See, this is the whole thing about being aware. If you're not aware of opportunities as they present themselves, they might be right under your nose. But if you're not paying attention, if you're not in the game or in, you know, of mind that these opportunities are there and you don't take a hold of them, you miss out on so many opportunities. I think that's true for so many people. And this is why I always tell people, look, educate yourself, just learn as much as you can keep learning because it'll give you the nose to sniff out the deals when they come along. Yeah, absolutely. I've interviewed a bunch of people on my podcast, like over 1,700 people (laughs) on my podcast. And I always ask them, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? And I'd say one of the more popular answers is just get started because they've experienced, just as most people have in business, when you just put one foot in front of the other towards your objective, then you're making progress you take your thoughts and you actually implement them in towards some sort of physical action. And then depending on what unfolds on the path, you know, depends on where you end up, but at least you're making that progress and you're getting much farther than if you're just thinking about doing things. Sure. Doing something is usually better than doing nothing. <laughs> yes, I would agree with that. So one of the things you talk about, Joe, are these three immutable laws of real estate investing, and I love them. They sound so basic at a surface level, but I think this is great for my audience to hear from you about some of the things we do talk about from time to time on the show here to drill these points home and just expand upon the importance of it and maybe whatever perspectives you have on them. So you know, you talk about these three laws that when you follow them, they result in your ability to thrive in any market and also at any time in a market cycle, which I love because I I truly believe that you can make money in real estate almost at any time. There's really no bad time. What changes is is really the opportunities and the markets that you're looking in and maybe the strategy and how you negotiate or, or put that deal together. But there are always deals out there. And this is where the whole creative real estate space came up from, you know, decades ago from A.D. Kessler and then, you know, that spilled over to Robert G. Allen. So, you know, one of these laws that you talk about is to buy for cash flow. You know, it sounds so basic, but it's really important. And so maybe if you can take, you know, a little time and just drill down and expand upon that. Yeah, sure. And I completely agree with you. There are no bad deals. There's only bad habits and practices. So anytime someone says, hey, you know, I I have a bad deal. No, 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 no. You don't have a bad deal. You had bad habits and practices that put you in this position to lose money. And I fully embrace that for any deals that don't go according to plan for, you know, that I've done. It's self-inflicted. So now you learn from it and then you enhance and you move forward. So I put together, we have three immutable laws of real estate investing. And you asked about the first one, cash flow. Before I talk about the first one real quick, the reason why I put these together is because as I've mentioned earlier, yeah, I've interviewed over 1,700 real estate investors. I've interviewed more real estate investors than anyone else in the entire world. I believe. I don't know anyone else who's interviewed more real estate investors. So because of that, plus my experience doing what I do in apartment investing, I've combined that stuff and I've learned some things. And I realized that there were some patterns. And one of the things I realized is that talking to people who lost a lot or all during the 2008 downturn, there were some common themes that took place during those conversations. So what I did is I I learned how did people lose all their money or most of their money in real estate during the downturn? And now what's the opposite of that, that regardless of any economic cycle, if we adhere to the opposite of that, 
then we're going to be all right and we could even thrive. So that's where this came from. So you asked about the first one. And the first one is I for cash flow, not appreciation. So seems pretty intuitive to most people or perhaps everyone listening because you've got some savvy people listening to this podcast, but people who don't focus on education first and don't focus on continually improving themselves might not adhere to this. And so what can take place with this law is people buying at a price where they're not cash flowing and they're just crossing their fingers, hoping that, hey, I'm in a market that's appreciated so far. And I think it's going to continue to appreciate because that's just what it's done for the past five years. And that's a potential problem when the market corrects itself or when the market turns. Because what could happen when the market corrects itself or turns is that money that you were putting into the property from your paycheck to float the property and float the mortgage, well, you might lose your job or you might burn through the cash reserves. And now you're not able to float the property anymore. And now you got to give the property back or sell it at a discount during a very bad time to sell the property. So when we buy properties for cash flow, not appreciation, then we are setting ourselves up for success. And my suggestion, or what we do, what my company does, Ashcroft Capital, is we buy properties at cash flow day one, but we can force appreciation through a primarily interior renovations. And I believe that's a great mixture of the two because we can buy a property that makes money, but then also enhance the revenue stream, uh, thereby enhancing the value through renovating the interiors, increasing the rent, making a better living experience for our residents. And should or when a correction takes place, because I believe there's going to be a correction sometime in the next five years, what we're going to do is we'll simply scale back the renovations or discontinue the renovations altogether and we'll sit tight and cash flow. We won't cash flow as much as we'd like because we won't be forcing appreciation to increase the value, but we bought a cash flowing property day one. And that's why it's buying cash flowing property is number one in the three laws because if we don't adhere to that, then laws two and three, might as well throw them out the window because you're not going to be set up for success if you don't have a cash flowing property day one. Right. Yeah, I totally agree with everything. And you know, I like to refer to cash flow as the glue that holds your deal together because good times and bad, you know, regardless of what the economy is doing or the local real estate cycle is doing, if you've got positive cash flow, your investment, your property is sustainable. It carries itself through good times and bad. And you know, that cash flow is really just an immediate rate of return. That's, you know, everybody loves income and income is cash flow and cash flow they say is king. So if you can appreciate the property over time, whether through comparables in the area, if you're dealing with residential property or through forced appreciation like what you're doing, you've got the best of both worlds. You have appreciation in time, but you have cash flow today. And that's the best scenario. I honestly believe that the people who really got, I hate to use you know the word, the S word, but the people who got caught with their shorts down back in 2007, were really speculators that bought based on appreciation. They were chasing after gains, capital gains, and they couldn't sustain their so-called investments. And guess what? When the market turned, no one was there to buy. Credit disappeared. And they couldn't carry and float the properties that they had purchased purely for the, you know, the equity gains. They were caught with their shorts down and they had to give them back to the bank. That's why there were a million people who were essentially foreclosed on. It's, they didn't invest like an investor truly should. Yeah, I agreed. There could be a scenario though 
where they adhered to the first law, the first immutable law, but then they didn't adhere to number two or number three, and they got in trouble. Because you can buy a property kept for cash flow and everything smooth sailing, baby. But then the second law is you secure long-term low leverage debt for your properties. Because if, for example, you buy a property, make a money, everything's wonderful, you even have adequate cash reserves, but you have a loan on a property that becomes due during a very inopportune time, for example, 2008, then you're needing to do something. You're needing to get new financing or you're needing to sell when new financing is non-existent or if it is, you're getting terrible terms or if you're going to sell, well, you have to sell at a discount. So what's important is the second law, secure long-term low leverage debt, specifically have debt on the property at least twice as long as the business plan. So if you're a buy and hold investor, I want to lock it up, throw away the key, I'll give the key to my tenants and that's it. I'm going to hold on to this for generations or at least for the long run. Then my suggestion is to have very long-term debt on the property. But in the commercial world, commercial real estate, you can get loans that are 24 months or you can get loans that are shorter than that or even obviously longer than that. And the important thing is whatever your business plan is, if it's a fix and flip or if it's a long-term hold or if it's a commercial property, my suggestion is to have a loan on the property that is at least twice as long as your business plan. So for example, the deals that we buy, you know, we're buying properties between 25 and $75 million, apartment communities. And our business plan is to renovate the interiors, increase the rent, which increases the value primarily. We do some other stuff too. That's the primary cause and effect for how we increase the value of the properties. Well, we do that within 24 months. And we're able to do that within 24 months because most people are on a 12-month lease. So if someone signs a lease the day before we purchase the property, well, we got to wait about 12 months to do the renovation for that particular unit. So we can be in and out of the property with our business plan within 24 months. But we put debt on the property that's at least five years so that once the business plan is complete after year two, we have three additional years of wiggle room should something unexpected occur or a correction occur so that we can course correct. We've got 36 months to figure things out. And I don't think in any scenario, anyone should ever wait until there's 18 months or less on the loan. Because if you've got 18 months or less on your loan, you're playing with fire because a correction could take place and then you got to get a loan in a very bad time to get loans or you're going to have to have a fire sale. Those are all great points. Let me clarify one thing for the audience here because you're talking about like a five-year loan. Let's just make sure we're all on the same page because it can be a little confusing. A lot of our listeners are accustomed to conventional financing, which is your 30-year amortized loan. And often that's a 30-year fixed rate loan. So your term is 30 years and your amortization period is 30 years and they're one and the same. There are exceptions to that and there are other loan products out there. But in your world, in the commercial world, we're talking about a commercial loan, which is often a 25-year amortization. And then you have terms on that. And I think what you have been talking about, just for the audience's sake, is the term. So you lock into a rate and that could be a two-year, three-year, four- or five-year lock on that rate. And then you have to renegotiate that loan. Is that what you're talking about? And do you want to expand on that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so as single family investors, if you're buying one to four units, 
the takeaway is know what your business plan is if there is one and then have the loan be locked in for at least twice as long and you know if you're doing a 15 or 30 year then great you're all set but if you're looking to do shorter term loans then that's where you just want to make sure that you have the business plan that is at least half as long as whatever the loan ends up being. So what you just said, that same model or principle applies to residential real estate investors as well in this way. You can still get yourself an adjustable rate mortgage where you lock into a rate for two, three, or five years, and it's a lower rate, and therefore your debt service is lower, your cash flow is higher, and that's a smart thing to do. That works if you anticipate holding that property for, let's say, five to 10 years, and then you sell it, probably doing a tax-deferred exchange and then moving up into you know, a larger portfolio, maybe in a different market. So the strategy you're using, Joe, can be applied in the residential world as well by using an adjustable rate mortgage. It's just a different business plan, but it's the same principle. Mm-hmm. Yep. Love it. Absolutely. So just continuing on with the securing, the long-term financing, low leverage debt, that law is, is there anything more to it or is it really just that? Yeah. (laughs) And the third thing, so the third law is have adequate cash reserves. And I'll be specific here in a moment, but just to paint the picture a little bit, we could buy a cash flowing property that is making money and we could also have the right financing on the property. But if something unexpected occurs, a resident of ours decides to park his motorcycle inside the living room and changes the oil in the living room and ruins everything in the living room, then skips out on the lease. And now you've got a bunch, a big old mess. And that type of resident probably destroyed the rest of the house too, while they're zooming away on their Harley. Um, By the way, that is a real story. I I was just wondering that. It was very specific because it happened to my dad whenever he was renting a property in Flint, Michigan. So I just uh, never told that story, but I just, for some reason, it came to me just now. So there's all sorts of expenses that could occur on a move out, but certainly there are expenses that can occur over the course of ownership of a property, fence falls over or whatever else. We have to have adequate cash reserves to pay for that stuff because if not, then that's going to be a problem (laughs) because we are going to need to find a way to get that cash or we're going to have to give the property back or something else. I don't, I don't even know. So especially with commercial real estate, that's important, but residential as well. We can have a cash flowing property. We have the right financing, but if we don't have adequate cash reserves, then we're going to be in trouble. And from a commercial standpoint, we put one to 5% of the purchase price into our operating account upfront. So whatever the purchase price is, say 75 million, we're going to have 1% of that in the operating account day one should something unexpected occur, like a freak snowstorm come through and all the boilers go out. Well, we've got the capital to put into the property to fix that maybe while we're waiting on an insurance claim. Because the challenge is even if you have insurance and say all the boilers go out, well, it takes a little bit of time to get the insurance claim lined up. Well, in the meantime, you've got residents who need hot water. And you've got to address that. So you need to have a stopgap. You need to have a budget to address that. And Marco, you would be the expert on what that adequate cash reserve is for a single family home because my focus is on apartment communities. But the concept is true regardless of it's single or multifamily. Totally agree. How do you determine 
whether it's one percent, two, three, four, or five? Age of the property primarily. So we buy properties built between 1980 and 2005 year of construction, and you know 1980 properties they're going to be closer to five percent. Uh, 2005 properties are going to be closer to one percent. Now it's not a hard and fast rule because. There are some beautiful properties that we've purchased that are constructed in 1984 because they were owned by large institutions before us. And those institutions put in a lot of money to keep those properties running very well. But you can have a 1985 property that was owned by a local owner and it was the only property that they've owned and they've run it into the ground. And so there's just more stuff that will likely come up with that particular property. So the rule of thumb is the year of construction, but then there are other variables to take into account. Sure. Yeah. I think the rule of thumb that I I give out all the time on the show for residential real estate investors that have single families primarily is to have anywhere from two to four months of gross rent put aside for that specific property. And then as you scale your portfolio larger and larger, you can scale back the amount you have in reserve because you're not going to have an accident or a fire or a turnover in all your properties all at the same time. That just doesn't happen. But it's good to have these guidelines and these rules of thumb because you know what you don't want to happen is not have any cash reserve because you're running a business. It's not that you should be pulling this out of your pocket and, and it's from your savings account or your personal funds. You want to think about this as a business and run it as a business and treat it as a business. And in order to do that, you have to have operating capital. Yep. Agreed. Cool. So those are three immutable laws of real estate investing. I wholeheartedly agree with all those. They sound basic and they're very prudent, but it's sound advice. Joe, in wrapping up, I want to just kind of uh, throw a curveball at you here. This is kind of a a Joe fun fact. (laughs) I know the answer to this, but what's your favorite band? Oh, Third Eye Blind. (laughs) And how? Isn't that everyone's favorite band? (laughs) That's what I thought, but I'm not sure now. (laughs) So how, how many times have you gone to their concerts? I don't know. But I can tell you I'm going in two and a half weeks to a third upline concert. <laughs> yeah, I'm going in two and a half weeks and then I'm speaking at a conference later in that same month and they're going to be in that city that same month and I very well might double dip on third eye blind concerts for that month. So I don't know. I've been to a whole bunch. That's hilarious. I should dub you as uh, third eye blind's biggest groupie. Yes. Yeah. It's an appropriate dubation. That's hilarious. Well, that's cool. They're a great band. I love their music. So let's wrap it up here. You know, Thanks for taking the time. So tell our listeners how they can find you or, or get more information about what you do. Well, first, if you're looking at passively investing in deals and you're an accredited investor, you can go to investwithashcroft.com, fill out the form, and would love to have a conversation with you. That's investwithashcroft.com. My company's Ashcroft Capital. If you'd like a guide it's a investor resource guide for passive investing in apartment communities. Just email info at joefairless.com. It's a very valuable guide with all the terminology um, walking you through uh, what type of passive investor you'd like to be and look at and questions to ask potential deal sponsors, people like me who have opportunities. That way, regardless if we partner up, you've got some questions to ask them as well as I not only put the questions to ask them, but also things to think about with when they respond to those questions. So you can email info at joefairless.com. Just mention you heard me on Marco's podcast. And we'll, my team, her name's Bonnie, my executive assistant. She'll get that document to you. Cool. Sounds great. 
All right, Joe. Well, once again, thanks for coming on the show and uh, let's do this more often. I would love to. Talk to you later and thanks everyone. Thank you. I appreciate Joe coming back on. And in closing here, let me just remind you that if you haven't done so already, download the free guide that we have on our websites, The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing, which by the way is coming out in the next few months as a book. So just keep your eyes and ears out for that. Of course, we offer free strategy sessions with our investment counselors. So if you are thinking about real estate or are an active real estate investor and want to continue building your portfolio and expand and grow, just feel free to contact one of our team members here and have a strategy session set up for you. We can help map that out and help you take that next step. Do you have a question about real estate investing? Great. Click on the Ask Marco button at PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com and submit your question. I'm going to try to get to all of them on the show here. And lastly, if you haven't already done so, please remember to subscribe. I appreciate all of you. Thank you for listening, and we will see you on the next episode. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the U.S. Our simple, proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Get your free copy of The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing at noradarealestate.com slash guide. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com slash guide. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights in media interviews, please contact the host.